You're listening to The Magnet Podcast. Hello, and welcome to The Magnet Theater Podcast. I'm your host, Louis Kornfeld. My guest today is the irreplaceable Bianca Kezuzel. <laughs> Bianca, thanks for talking. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> Welcome back. You're in New York for a month after leaving us for a while to go to North Carolina. Yeah. I and the rest of the Magnet community are so delighted to see you back. I am delighted to be back. How the hell are you? Always good. Oh, yeah, everything's good. Yeah. Great. Great. We, you and I were talking briefly yesterday, because you left before we opened the new training center, mm-hmm. uh, uh, and you were saying how weird it is coming back and there being a whole gigantic community of people here you've never seen before in your yeah, entire it's, life. It's huge and swank. It feels like a sad, like, like St. Elmo's fire. But if you just saw it, we're like, I'm still going to go into the diner. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know anybody here, but I'm still going to hang out. Yeah. That's a pretty good. Yeah. Yeah. I, I like that. I feel like it, it says something sad about me, but I'm like, I don't know anyone. That's cool. I'll still like, just try to ingratiate myself with these people. No, I don't think that's sad at all. I think like I, f- f- I think it's much sadder to go the route that I would probably normally go is peek through the window and be like, ah, I'm not welcome anymore. Well, I feel like I know, and like so, not everybody, but enough people that it would feel uncomfortable if one of you saw me like holding my hand to the window. Yeah, with, like, it would a single be. Tear. It would be weird. Yeah, it would be like just go in and watch a comedy show. We, I'll tell you, you what, weirdo. We had a guy. There was a guy who came out. Uh, um, I'm not going to mention him by name, just out of politeness. But he used to come to the mixers on Saturday, like ten years ago. Okay. And uh, I haven't seen him in like five or six years or something, like a long time. And then he came out uh, like Wednesday a couple of weeks ago, and was like, "Hey, Lewis," and just like walked in. I love that. That's delightful. Yeah, I love that I, because I, I may have like mentioned this talking to other people on the podcast, but like the way that I'm friends with people, I you know this for a fact. I am not personally good at like maintaining correspondences. Oh, I'm garbage at it. Yeah. So like I've lost a lot of friendships along the way just by virtue of like if you're not directly in front of me, I kind of don't reach out to you. And the people who have stayed in my life as my good friends are the ones who ten years will go by without talking to each other, and then we see each other and say, "Hey, hi." Yeah, and, and it's just like right a bit there. that yeah. happens immediately, and it's great. Yeah. yeah. But that's one of my, that was like, it made me so happy. It made me feel so proud. Like, all the years that I invested doing the mixers were worthwhile when this guy came in after five years. And I was like, hey, Lewis. Yeah, I think that's the best. I think it also, like, implies, like, a certain comfort or intimacy. Yeah. When you have a relationship where you don't have to go through the, like, dinner theater of being friends, mm-hmm. like, where it's not necessarily, like oh, tell me, like, about your work day, which, like, I care about, but it's more about just, like, oh, I like you as, like, a f- fundamental, like, the things that are true about you as a human being. Yeah. Which I cannot imagine will have changed over, like, six months. Yeah. So, like, I want to care about the details of your life, but I'm not that worried that I'll see you and, like, it's going to be totally different. Yeah. It seems like such a weird... I can't even imagine what it must be to, like, feel like if you don't... See, I, maybe that's not what the people who correspond all the time feel like, but... Probably not. They're probably just like they're, they're probably just like good people. They're they're better, like, it's, yeah, yeah, thoughtful. Yeah, that's probably it. I really don't mean any harm by it. I, it, it like I, I know that it makes me a selfish asshole, but I don't mean any harm by it. It's just kind of like I just like don't um, have object permanence, I guess, or something. Yeah, I I sort of like I don't have a lot to talk about. That's why whenever anybody asks me like what I'm up to, eh, nothing. I don't yeah. have anything to talk about. I think like also your day just feels like your day, even if yeah. it's very different than. 
it was before. It's just like, oh, I don't know. Yeah. I'm waking up and doing the stuff I do when I wake up. Yeah, like, nothing terribly exciting like about it. Pretty normal. Yeah. You have a lovely ability to engage people and make them open up and make even the most crusty of improvisers laugh and smile and feel warm. And you're, oh, I, I also find you a great, you're not only, we'll get into improv in a second, you're not only a wonderful improviser, but some of your strengths as an improviser carry over into the bar afterwards where you have a presence that opens people up and makes people tend to want to stick around and, and, and be themselves and be very relaxed. Bianca, You're making me how, blush a whole bunch right well, now. Good. <laughs> how do you do it? How do you make people feel like a million bucks? You make everyone feel like a million bucks. I make like six people feel like a hundred thousand bucks. That's garbage. Yeah, how do you do it though? What's your, you, 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 you get people talking. Um, I don't know. I think I, I was talking about kid sistering people with you earlier, which yeah. is just that I like ignore every social indication that they don't want to talk to me <laughs> and just continue being like, be my friend, be my friend, even though you don't like it. Yeah. And then I feel like either people eventually like have to have a conversation where they're like, literally, I don't like you. Yeah. Please go away. For most people, they follow the path of least resistance, which is like, fine. <laughs> Jesus Christ, okay. <laughs> so like that's it, is just give people Stockholm syndrome with you. It's a pretty good answer. I the kid sister quality to that though, that like there's something about that that resonates that they just like that that like spirit of like I wanna I wanna <laughs> I wanna be with you, I wanna hang out, I wanna talk, I wanna Yeah, that's my life. <laughs> yeah. Have you always been that way? Yeah, yeah. Like I so I'm like a middle kid in my family, but um, my little brother is like a very like uh, independent little dude. Yeah. So I only got to be like proper big sister for like, like it feels like a couple of weeks. Like I, I think um, he like sort of did his own thing real quick. And like my uh, older sister, uh, who, uh, you know, I've got a really good relationship with, mm. like hated me mm. genuinely because <laughs> I was the worst and I was like super, super annoying and just copied everything she did and like would take her clothes and like put them on and then go play in the mud with them and like ruin her really nice things. So like she was totally right to think I was obnoxious, but I was just like obsessed with her. I still am. It's like, I'm 32 yeah. and I'm still like, what are you doing? Oh, it's so cool. I want to do that thing. I don't know. I remember like going through that phase. I was the, the older brother. I, I was the older brother. I still am. Yeah. <laughs> But I remember, like, going through that phase where, like, my independence was, like, super important to me. And, and, like, my brother got a haircut that was very similar to my haircut. And, like, I wouldn't talk to him for, like, a week. It was just, like, communications are over between us. <laughs> How dare you copy my thing? That's How, really funny. Yeah, that's what you do as siblings, you know? No, I, like, loved it when my little brother did anything that I did. Yeah, I really? was like, yeah, I'm cool. Yeah. Well, I love it now. I didn't, yeah. when I was 11 and 12, I didn't love it so much, but now I love my brother, as you know, is improvising it's now and he's peach. around it's, and, and, and it thrills me to no end. Yeah. The Kornfeld boys are just like delightful, Stop it, lovely. Get out of town. Cut it out. <laughs> <laughs> uh, um, how's North Carolina? I, it's I'm, good. Do, I don't, me. I have not been down there. Ever? I don't think so. No, that's not true. I was there, I was there once for like an hour. 
How was it? Uh, balmy. Yeah. It was balmy right. and dark. It was the middle of the night, so it was balmy and dark. I couldn't really see that's, too much of it. Those are the two. That's on our state logo. Yeah, like, balmy and dark. Under like a picture <laughs> of a cardinal. <laughs> has, what, how, are you, how do you find the difference between improvising down in North Carolina and improvising in New York? Well, for, what, what did you start improvising? Where did you start improvising? Uh, in North Carolina at DSI. Okay. Mm-hmm. And then you came up to New York? Oh, no, no. When I started improvising, yeah. uh, very first, I did like... In high school, my uh, drama teacher did, like, some viola spool on, like, theater game things. Uh, And I was really into it. And then I had, like, a really weird experience with this, like, practice group that a friend of mine, I was like, hey, you should do this. It's with all these grown-ups. And, like, it's going to be really fun. And for whatever reason, this group of grown-up, like, men, I was, like, 16, uh, pimped me into playing a prostitute, like, four times in one rehearsal. And I was like, oh, maybe I don't like improv maybe I like just thought I liked it Hmm. and I don't at all so then I just like didn't do it for forever and then started doing it here at the Magnet uh January 9th 2010 nice memory yeah (laughs) it's my nephew's birthday so it's easy to remember yeah uh but yeah with Mark uh what after that unpleasant an experience what made you decide to to sign up uh I, I think actually it's like not I feel like I should say something about, like, oh, I, like, learned something about myself, and it was like, great. But really what happened is, like, I had been kicking the idea around for a super long time, like, for years. And for whatever reason, it was just felt really daunting or didn't have a sense of urgency to it. And then I, like, dated a guy, and it didn't end well, and he did improv. And I was like, mm, <sighs> nope, <laughs> this asshole can do it. Like, I can totally do this. So it was like a revenge sign-up. Yeah, it was, it was uh, absolutely like a vengeance. Like, get Stella getting her groove back. Like, weird. <laughs> like, anger-fueled decision. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, yeah, and, and it's great. Obviously, I fell in love with it. And I'm trying to remember when you and I met for the first time. I actually don't. It's funny, because, like, I have you in my mind. You're like part of the original crew at the magnet even though that's not true yeah no not true at all um i mean i know i took i think probably pretty early because i was really into theory of everything Mm -hmm. uh so i watched that a whole bunch and like i went to every single mixer yeah to the point that like chris simpson who was house managing once uh, came up to me because i was like real nervy about talking to people for probably almost all of my level one uh Chris Simpson came up to me at the bar once and he was like, hey, are you that girl that goes to every mixer? And I was like, that's me, <laughs> Kid Sister Deluxe. I, I'm actually kind of curious about this because, like, you know, the Magnet has a very, like, intimate, friendly vibe to it. And, mm-hmm. and that's always been the case. And it's got a very kind of, like, small, warm, warm thing. But, like, I, I don't really think about it from, like, the point of view of someone who's entering that for the first time, that must seem a little like daunting because like you walk into it and usually everybody who's hanging out in the lobby knows each other. And and usually there's like, you got a house manager break dancing or something, you know, like, yeah, but I think that's what makes it feel like, Oh, this is like a cool party that I want to be a part of. Yeah. Was that that your experience when you first came? Yeah. Like I was, I was a little nervy just cause I, I didn't really know how to like start conversations with people. Yeah. Uh, like, Beyond, like, that was a great show. And there would be, like, a weird moment of silence. And I would be like, cool. I guess that's all I had, really. Cool, I'm going to go. Yeah. Um, but then, like, doing mixers and stuff got easier uh, to talk to people. And then interning, which I, like, loved interning. Yeah. I think I interned for, like, the, the longest, like, a weirdly long time. 
beyond when I like had all my credits just because yeah. I don't know. I really liked being, having a reason to see people frequently mm-hmm. and like, uh, seeing all the teams like have their little rituals beforehand, which was really nice. So I don't know for me, it, it wasn't, it didn't feel as like exclusive as some other places have felt. Yeah. Yeah. I've like, I've heard from people that it took them a little while to kind of get used to it and sort of feel like, Oh, it's possible to just like walk in and talk to people. And, and like, that's something that I think if I were starting now, I would certainly feel daunted by that. I, because I, I have a hard time just like talking to people out of the blue or even coming up to someone and saying like, Oh, that was an awesome show. That's like a real struggle for me. When, when, when you were interning, was I, Still house managing? Mm-hmm. It was a great period. Yeah, it was the best. Uh, I And that was also like, oh, you could intern for like five years if, if you wanted to. I basically did. I think I interned for like like definitely more than two years. Yeah. I used to love, my favorite thing was when we had parties and I would bartend the parties. I loved bartending the parties. It's the best. I was I was furious that I had to stop. Yeah. Like just because... I had to stop being an intern. It was silly. Yeah. Uh, but because I get really anxious with that many people. Mm-hmm. So it was a nice, like, oh, I can see everybody, but I've got this little barrier between me and totally. everybody else. Totally. And and you have the built-in excuse to have to end it into every conversation after a minute because you got more people who want drinks. Yeah. It's... And then, like, you know, you can take a break and, like, go dance for a little bit. Yeah. And then, but, yeah, I loved it. I also, like, I find it very grounding to have a sense of purpose at a party like that. If I'm just at a party... I took a personality test recently, and it was like, <laughs> um, where? I was going on like around. Or... Was, no, I was going around on on like Facebook, and okay. M- Megan was like, "Hey, you should take this. This one, this is a good one." And it sucked. I, I, <laughs> it was one of those ones where like every single question is like, I don't, I, I have a different answer to this every five minutes. What kind uh-huh. of question is this? But then one of them was like, in a party, do you tend to stand in the corner, or uh, are you a wallflower, or do you tend to be in the middle? And I was like, oh, that's a great question. I go with the other members of the boss right to the very back mm-hmm. of the theater and sit in the darkest row. That's where I go. I Unless know, I I'm bartending it. because you have a purpose, you have a reason to be there. Yeah. If there was like a puppy walking around, that would also give me like a purpose. Like if yeah. <laughs> the theater just was like, Oh, we all have a puppy for people who are anxious. You can just make a beeline for that dog. I remember years ago when the theater couldn't have been open more than six months. I don't remember whose puppy it was, but somebody like brought in a puppy and like they may have been performing, so it was like the intern's job to fence in the puppy in the front lobby. And so, <laughs> like, that sounds terrible. It's ridiculous. <laughs> it's ridiculous. Uh, oh, the glory days, man. How? What's? What? Uh, what is the improv scene like in North Carolina? Uh, it's good. It's it's. I feel like it sounds like a jerky thing to say to say like surprisingly good, but I think because like it, uh, there was a theater called Comedy. I don't know if it was called Comedy Sports Center, Comedy Works, but in Raleigh, like a short form theater mm. that existed when I lived there. Because I moved away when I was like 18. Uh, and I think around when I was moving away, probably like the seeds of what were going to be DSI were happening, but I didn't know anything about it. Like, I didn't have like a, a brick and mortar place. Um, but so it's like been around for a little while, which is cool. So like you've got these like people who've been performing at that theater for like 10 years. Mm. Um, so the talent level is like crazy high. Uh, and I think what's also cool is, like, uh, you've got people who, like, love improv and they want to do it all the time, uh, but they, like, have a job that they love. So they're not going to, like, move to, Nor- like, New York or Chicago or L.A. because mm-hmm. they're like, I'm a doctor. I'm, like, researching genetics here, and that's great. But uh, so it's cool to, like, see these people who have been around for forever and have this, like, 
vocabulary with each other because they've just been playing together for like a kajillion years. Mm-hmm. Um, and also I think since the theaters moved spaces, which has happened since I've been there, like it used to be in like uh, sort of a fancy strip mall, uh, like on sort of like a loading dock by a restaurant. Mm-hmm. So like it wasn't a terrible space like location wise um, in, in uh, like relative to where the city is. But it was a little awkward to find. Like, even when I knew I was going, where I was going, it was a little tricky. But now they're, like, across from the university. So, like, in the time that I've been there, the foot traffic's been, like, crazy. And there's, like, way more students. And it's, like, a little bit more vibrant. And, like, uh, maybe less of, like, just all people who have known each other for forever. Yeah. Which it felt like to me, which might have just been because I was new and feeling anxious. Mm-hmm. I don't know. But, yeah, it's it's great. Um, it's definitely more short form. Like, there's short form and long form that happens at the theater. So I feel like uh, that uh, sort of style uh, makes all of the scenes very, very fast. Mm-hmm. Like, I feel like their heralds usually run, like, 16, 18 minutes. That's a really fast herald. Yeah, it's a really, really fast herald. So, like, it's it's very, very, like, get your premise out real quick. Super, super fast. Uh, which, for me, is a challenge. Yeah. Uh, but it's fun, and it's been cool to, like, most of your audience, especially in the new space, you'll have like three or four improvisers in the audience, but it's almost entirely people who just walked by and were like, oh, it says comedy on the sign. Mm-hmm. I like that. Mm-hmm. I'm going to come in. So it's been cool to sort of realize that like feels a little different to improvise maybe for non-improvisers, uh, which is like a thing I had never thought about before. Yeah. I, which you must have found on the ship, right? Yeah. Um, it's a very different experience improvising for people on the ship. Cause, like you're... So I... I I did a second city contract on board uh, on board a Norwegian cruise ship with um, TJ Maddox and Megan Gray and, and Des Nash and uh, this guy, guy Greg Ott in Chicago is a really awesome improviser and comedian. And uh, one thing, like, you think of it more as an entertainer than as an improviser. Mm-hmm. That helped me a lot, was, was thinking, uh, like, okay, I'm, I'm, I'm more just, I'm entertaining people. And for, like, I, I was, like, begrudging for a week, and then I... I got the stick out of my ass about that and it became way more fun. Totally. I, I agree 100%. Like I think that, uh, for like a little bit, I, I'm, I'm probably like more of an asshole. So I think it was longer than a week for me that I was like, what? Like, why isn't yeah. this thing that I thought would work, uh, not working. Um, but then I realized that also like, um, I think a lot of times I was doing things just to be clever, mm-hmm. like just to like show off mm-hmm. a little bit. That was like, this is like not fun for the audience or anybody I'm playing with. Yeah. I'm just trying to make a more complicated choice because I feel like it seems smarter or like, yeah. I don't know. It's hard when you're feeling that pressure of like, I got to be funny immediately. Mm-hmm. It's hard to resist that temptation to to want to like show off everything that you can do or, or like I, I, I get that way where like I'll find... Like, oh, I'm just packing too much shit into this sentence. And I have this, like, weird upper crust accent that's coming out now suddenly. And, like, everything about my behavior is, like, show-off-y. Yeah, I was just, like, the most unnecessarily obnoxious show-off. Yeah. For, I think because I was just, like, nervous and I, like, wanted people at the theater to think I was good and I didn't know them. And, yeah. like, you know, I, I didn't know these audiences and they have no reason to trust me. Yeah. So, like, instead of just being like, oh, I'll do, like, a simple good scene, I was like, oh, let me pack all this, like, weird crap and, like, references and esoteric, like, just pieces of information. Like, oh, maybe you're going to want to know about, like, a new cloud classification. Uh Maybe that'll be funny to you. Just not funny to anybody. It's just me showing off and being, like, a nerd. 
How do you relax out of that? What happened? Uh, I, I think what was really helpful was actually seeing some of the bigger teams, like some of the uh, teams for the festival come in and perform for the same audience. And mm-hmm. I like uh, sometimes because I tend to be sort of a visceral person. <clears throat> sometimes it's really helpful for me to like stop doing that and just get really, really cerebral about a situation if like my the my gut isn't working. So I would watch these teams do moves that I thought was really funny. Notice that I was maybe laughing more than everybody else in the audience mm-hmm. and try to like make notes to myself about like, oh, well, why maybe the 7 p.m. audience was not ready uh, for the word. Well, I, don't, I don't know if I want to say You it. can say whatever you want. I don't know if the 7 p.m. audience is ready for the word cunt. Like, I, it's a really funny move. But I think they just made this audience uncomfortable. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. So, like, I think uh, getting a feel for that a yeah. little bit was interesting. I'll be honest with you. I wish you didn't say that <laughs> word. <laughs> I know. I made it uncomfortable. Yeah, and it's weird. Kids I know, listen I'm to sorry. this. You know, yeah. little kids. Listen, parents so many children. Play this for their kids to, yeah. you know, occupy them. Uh, um, <laughs> yeah. To, f- I, like, for me, it's all about, like, tightness and looseness. And when I get nervous in front of, like, new audiences or I become self-conscious, I, I become really tight. I immediately know it because my throat tenses up. I can, I, my voice gets, like, squeakier. Mm-hmm. And then I try to compensate for that by, like, speaking in a deeper voice. And then usually my characters all have this, like, angry edge to them because I'm straining through this, like, tight, constricted yeah. throat. And I don't mean to be angry, but, like, I'm forcing so much out of this, like, tense muscle you know, spasm that I'm sure. having. So it's like all about finding ways to like loosen up and, and, and you know what I mean? Like you, you got to find that, that ability to relax and be open and, mm-hmm. and, and, and that's like, it takes some getting used to. It, it takes a long time getting over yourself when you're in front of new crowds and you're in a new community of people, you really like, you're the center of your own, I mean, you're always the center of your own world, but, like, you're really the center of your own world there. Yeah, I think, like, there's nothing that will... will, Because I'm an an anxious person, just generally, anyway. But I think that that was just, like, all of your anxieties are just going to be... The volume's going to be turned up on all of those. Totally. Can I I share with you one of my major pet peeves? Yes. Uh, um, This will be... uh, So sometimes, like, before a show... I will notice a bunch of like young kids for whatever reason, a family brings a bunch of young kids to an eight o'clock show and like I'll head backstage and I'll let the team that's about to perform know, Hey, just a heads up. we got a bunch of young kids out there Uh and I've noticed a difference between there are certain teams who hearing that information become really tight and then invariably uh, uh, someone's cunt gets fucked by Dracula <laughs> in the first fucking scene of the show, right. like immediately. It's a huge pet peeve of mine. Uh, um, and I'll tell you why too. I think it's your responsibility as a, as a, an improviser to be able to make those kinds of adjustments and know that oh, if I'm playing at seven o'clock and you know there's like a a, a, a Christian club sitting in the audience. Right. It's my job, not necessarily to cater to these people, but it's still my job to give them a fun time and give them a well, fun like not show. Not to be hostile to them. Totally. And and you shouldn't, I think the hallmark of a good improviser is when someone says like, oh, hey, we got to make this adjustment for tonight. And you go, okay. 
and then you just do that. You well, know, like I don't think that that's so a big silly. deal or is asking a lot of people. I, I think it's part of your job when you're on stage is mm-hmm. as much as you got to know the people you're playing with, you got to know the people that you're playing too. And and you do as much as you have to adjust. Like I wouldn't play this one particular way. The way that I play when I'm with like Charlie Whitcroft, who's my best friend from my whole life. And the best. Yeah, he's great. Is not the same way that I would play with somebody else who I just met for the first time. Sure. I wouldn't make the same assumptions of that person. And and I feel like a lot of improvisers that I've talked to about this uh, agree with that. I'm like, oh, of course, you got to adjust to the person that you're playing with or the team that you're playing with. But then if you bring up, of like, you also have to adjust to the time slot that you're in and the audience that you're playing to. I've spoken with some people who get, like, really uptight about that and, and, and feel that that's, like, bossing them into adopting a style that they don't want to do. And I think that that's just silly. I, I think, think it's the silliest. Like, I think that uh, these people are giving you their time and their energy and that they're the whole reason that you're allowed to do this. Yeah. And, like, if you literally have your entire imagination and you're just going to be so stymied because you can't say, like, three words. Yeah. Like, how crappy is your imagination? Yeah. Well, it's also like it calls on it actually, I think, makes you a better improviser, because if you think about like any game, games are all about limitations, right? Mm. You're laying out these limitations and and then everybody's obeying these same limitations. And then you've created this game on the spot together. Right. And every single exercise that you ever do in class is based on some kind of limitation that we're playing with. Like Spolin's games are all about mm. that. Spolin's games are all about do scenes where nobody can say the letter S in a right. word. You know what I mean? Uh, um, it's like chock full of that stuff. It's how we're trained. It's how we play. It's what we do all the time. So if you go out and you look at your audience and you're like, oh, it's a 7 p.m. crowd and there's a bunch of kids out there. So let's just not like, let's not fuck anything in this show. Right. It's a great limitation and you make a game out of that. And it shouldn't be a thing that like stymies you or censors you or shuts you off. You'd be like, okay, that's the limitation we're playing with for this show. You can use your brains and play it wicked smart with that limitation. I, I just, I have a hard time accepting when people are like, no, you're, I'm being censored with that. Like, no, bullshit. I think that's ridiculous. And I think that like, uh, so I think that for your audience, you should have some level of trust, right? So like you might, for an improviser audience, they already trust you a lot. So you can sort of go, you're friends. You don't have to use manners. Mm-hmm. With a new audience or audiences that don't maybe necessarily know improv or know who you are or with kids, like, you want to use manners. Mm-hmm. I, I think of it like manners are always just short form for, or like a, a shorthand for respect. Yeah. Like you don't use the same manners with your best friend that you would with a stranger. Yeah. Because your best friend already knows that you respect them, so you don't need to go to all these links that's to a, show them that's that. That's a great way of putting it. Um, and like... It just seems so unnecessary to me to be like hostile to these people that are are trying to be on your side mm-hmm. and want to support you, but they don't really know you yet. So if you come out of the gate and, and say something insulting or makes them feel uncomfortable, it just feels really, really unnecessary to me. Yeah. And I think you can find yourself in these really cool places. Like uh, one of the interesting things about, because I'd never done short form before, like for an audience, doing short form, and DSI has got a lot of like specifically family friendly stuff. Um, is finding out that like sometimes you can have a moment that's like the sexual tension is there. Nobody's fucking anybody, but there's still an interesting like sexual tension or sexual element that is totally unknowable to kids, mm-hmm. but really funny and weird for the parents to watch, mm-hmm. and way more interesting for you as a player to just be like, well, why would we? Fuck, this scene is is so much funnier. Totally. With us just doing this normal thing with this weird subtext. Yeah. That I don't know why it exists, but does sometimes. Yeah. You know. That was my experience too. When I was when I was working on the ship, it uh, 
I found that you could still play scenes smart mm -hmm. and you could still have like subtext going on in scenes that people enjoyed. And if anything, the kids in the audience who may not have known exactly what was going on enjoyed the fact that the grown up seemed to be enjoying it and they mm -hmm. were totally into it. You didn't have to sell anything out or dumb anything down either. You just like, you play this really smart. You, you, you hold it back so that you're not doing anything that you know is going to be disrespectful to people. But you just do a good scene within, within the limitation of the game that you've offered up to these people. Yeah, and I think that Story Pirates also does a really good job of that. Yeah. And, like, working with Story Pirates has been really helpful to, like, understand how to have that, like, kind of flex that muscle yeah. of, like, still really engaging and really interesting for every age, but not... Like, Story Pirates, one thing that I think is really, really cool is that they uh, focus a lot on, like, not even don't say bad words, but, like, don't say, oh, my God, because if a kid is really Christian and that's mm -hmm. not allowed in their house, that can make them feel weird. Mm -hmm. Or uh, if you've got a bad guy uh, in the story, we're going to try to avoid calling him, like, smelly or hairy mm -hmm. uh, because that might be true of some kid. Right. Like, they might be hairy. I'm both and, you know, smelly and hairy. <laughs> that's, it's true for me. Like, so I get it. I guess a life uh, <laughs> of crime is all that's in the cards for me. <laughs> oh, no. But, yeah, I think it's, it's, I think it's really, like, thoughtful and great to just be aware of, like, what could make someone feel uncomfortable. Yeah. And then if you make the choice to sort of do it anyway, to make this bold move, it's at the very least deliberate. Yeah. Um, which is, I think, much, much better. There's a difference, I think, between making people feel uncomfortable because you've moved them, they followed along with the scene that you're in, and they've been moved to a place that that maybe treads into kind of like difficult territory mm. versus making someone uncomfortable because you've disrespected them. Yeah. And and I, going back to that for a second, like when you disrespect people in the audience, I, I, don't you find too that like so much of that doesn't come out of deliberately being disrespectful? It comes out of tightness. It people make moves where it, it you're feeling so tight and so on the spot that you overcompensate by pushing down on the gas pedal really hard, and then what comes out tends to have this kind of like hostile attitude. Yeah, I think because you're like you feel just maybe angry that you feel so uncomfortable yeah. or, or something that it's, it's like everything is coming out strangled. Yeah. Uh, Alan Fessenden once in that, like the, I think the first time I played with a laser, like literally gave me a note during the scene. Yeah. Like he was my police captain and I was like being like a, a off the rails, like detective or whatever. And he like stopped and looked at me and said like, oh, you really swear a lot when you're nervous, not detective. And I was like, Oh no. Yeah. I totally have been. Yeah. And like unnecessary for no good reason at all. Yeah. I just got anxious and was like, I can't think of words. Let's just throw so many cuss words in here. You're pushing it out. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And that, that it never feels right when you're pushing it out. They're like, it's it, like a poop. You it's like a it poop. Happen. You got to let it out. You got to let it through you, man. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> I'm sorry to all the little kids who are listening to this right no, now. No, that might be helpful for them. It might. Don't strain, kids. <laughs> you hurt yourself. You know what? Sometimes you just... Sometimes you get a hard poop just, and you just got to like live it. So, sometimes you just wait. I know it feels weird, but just wait till tomorrow, <laughs> you know? Um, you know what? Like, the, actually, I, I found out... Like At first, this infuriated me, and then it turned out to be my favorite thing when I was on the ship. When when we would do we would imp we had like two solid improv shows all mm -hmm. short form and then we had a couple of improv games in like the main stage sketch show you know break it up yeah so we would do a couple of like improv scenes there 
and uh, you could get people to laugh hysterically simply by repeating the suggestion that they gave you in the scene. You wouldn't have to do anything with it. Mm -hmm. if, if we got the suggestion that our relationship was brother and sister, I could bring the house down by starting the scene with Bianca, I'm your brother. You're my sister. Yeah. And people would just like, that would be it. That's all you'd have to do it's for the scene. It's just very satisfying, I think. There is something kind of like oddly satisfying about how, how, I don't know the right way to express this. It was just like this feeling of like, oh, I don't have to prove anything or impress. It, it, not that I'm like dumbing shit down, but like, oh, okay. It's literally, that makes you happy. Okay, I'll, I'll I'll happily do more of that for you. Yeah, like you don't need to see me do a crazy trick. You just want to hear this thing that you said validated and honored. You that's don't. It. That's it. You don't need to see what a genius I am, or or you don't need to see all of my improv education laid out for you. I don't need to mm. prove to you that I have a, a master's degree. I you just you want me to repeat that I'm your brother. Oh, okay, it made you happy. That's okay. Yeah, which is like like I love blind line. Yeah, like the short form game for that reason because yeah. like uh, it's just. A, it's like fun just to have these like weird little lines that the audience has given you. But B, it's really cute to see how delighted people are to be like, they said that thing on totally, stage. Totally. Uh, um, that's what's so nice about it is just like this feeling of like, oh, I'm like I'm making people feel very happy and feel very yeah. included. That's the thing, too. It's like they're laughing that they heard their suggestion repeated immediately, not because it's funny at all, but because they were included. Yeah. Now we're building this show together and I'm not just performing at you. Yes. Uh, we're we're all part of creating this and it's something that you now have a stake in. And yeah. uh, I'm like respecting what you just gave me. Yeah. Uh, so it feels like a, a nice little conversation instead of just sort of shouting at them. Yes. This is what you're supposed to like. Yeah. This is, that seems so crazy to me. And like, uh, it's, it's been a, a thing that's interesting to like have highlighted that like, oh, I think I probably did that a little bit sure. before. And then DSI has been actually really helpful for uh, being maybe like a little bit more succinct and a little bit more clear mm -hmm. and uh, being a little bit more aware of like maybe when I'm making an audience uncomfortable or even just gauging an audience at all. Mm. Cause I, I just never bothered. Yeah. I guess, which sounds terrible, but I think in many ways the New York improv scene can spoil you because so much of your audience is other improvisers. Mm -hmm. So like they already, you don't have to use any manners. Yeah. We all know each other. It's all fine. You can start a scene with like, ha ha, cunt, fuck, punch, like whatever. And they're mm -hmm. like, hooray. Uh, so I think it can, can uh, give you some false confidence about that. Yeah, yeah. I, it would, this is probably going to sound like super arrogant, but like when I was doing short form on the ship, I, I felt kind of like a sense of pride when kids were watching stuff because like I noticed that like, oh, people are so happy when you just do exactly what they just told you to do. And mm -hmm. when you repeat their suggestion back to them, they love it. And, and two things about it are they feel in, heard and included and they're, they're freaking out about feeling heard and included. So that must mean that oftentimes they don't feel heard or included. Totally. B, they think of uh, uh, like, oh, you're crazy. You're crazy. This guy's a nut. <laughs> it's like, I'm a nut because I just did exactly what you told me to do. And so it also like occurred to me of like, oh, man, you're playing for people who are so not used to, like in their worldview, opening your mouth in front of other people and, and just saying something is like, crazy behavior yeah. you got to be a lunatic to do that <laughs> it's such like a foreign concept to me but it, it like occurred to me of like oh man like 
there are people who just don't get the kinds of experiences that we get, who, who don't get to be surrounded by so many people who want you to be you, mm -hmm. you know? And we're, we're very, very spoiled and constantly being surrounded by people who want us to be exactly who we are and who celebrate exactly what makes us weird and exactly what makes us unique and whatnot. There are people out there in large stretches of the world who, who are not living in that environment at all. And it's a real risk. Opening your mouth and saying anything is a humongous risk where only a crazy person does it. And being hearing somebody else and including somebody else's ideas is like this vulnerable thing. So it, it always like, I always felt very responsible to like any kids that were watching this mm -hmm. sense of like, yeah, you don't, don't tolerate that bullshit, man. You're be, you know what I mean? Like, exactly. It's fun. The crazy people. And I like crazy people, but like that's like silly. Pe yeah. 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 That's like, you should aspire to learn from that, man. Relax, relax, relax your crack, dude. Yeah. Just like chill out and have fun with it. Like that's, so one of the things that I do down there is like, I get to go into schools and teach kids improv. This is through DSI or, or that's through, through Story the North Carolina theater okay. conservatory, which is like another place I work. Okay. Um, and it's been like so cool. Cause it's funny to me that kids like are so great at pretending like kindergarten's like, uh, or I don't know, maybe it's first grade. It's like six years old. Mm. Just like you, you're probably still pretending sometimes. But when you say like, okay, we're going to pretend in this game, they get really stressed out mm -hmm. about like doing it right mm -hmm. or messing up. They'll get like really intense about yelling at each other. Like you mess this up or mm -hmm. whatever. Um, but seeing the moment that they start to get loose and realize that you can say like a totally cuckoo bananas thing, it's going to be okay. No one's going to be mad. Somebody might giggle, and that feels so validating and mm -hmm. so great. Uh, it's really, really neat just to watch, like, uh, to, to hopefully, like, see. I think one thing that's a bummer and one thing that makes improv feel like such a drug for grown-ups is that uh, we don't always have space to do this, to just play. Mm -hmm. uh, and when you're in, like, a classroom setting and you're telling a kid, like, no, no, play. Here are some, like, rules to help you play, but play they just feel like they can't at all yeah. because like you're a teacher. Totally. So like this is probably some weird trick and the answer is not really play. But then when they get to say like, Oh yeah, the name of this story is like the big slimy pickle. Yeah. And you're like, cool. That's a great title for a story. They start to like trust a little bit that like, Oh no, I really can like just play. Like I play with my friends. Yeah. And that isn't a thing that like you are a grown up and do. Yeah. Oh, that's cool. It's so, like that's been a really, really like satisfying thing. Yeah. And also like obviously all of them are better than any improviser I've ever seen. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Viola Spolin called that the approval disapproval syndrome. She, it, if anybody who's never read her book, uh, Improvisation for the Theater, it's the first 80 pages are really worth it. I, it was a really long time ago I read it, but I like loved it when yeah. I did. I think I was still in high school. The the exercises themselves, honestly, uh, uh, I'm sure I, I'd make waves in certain communities, but I guarantee those communities are probably not listening to this podcast. But uh, the exercises are, are a, a tad dated or a tad. I, I think we're so used to the instant gratification of the of like heavy duty scenic improv, mm. gamic improv, that uh, her exercises feel kind of like oh, okay, I transform the object. Uh, what I, you know, but, but anyway, the, the like underpinnings behind that book, I think are still like the, the touchstone mm -hmm. and that idea. I, I remember reading that in college and being really like, like fascinated by that notion that we inhibit ourselves because we're unconsciously or consciously 
uh, um, always looking to get that approval and always looking to avoid that disapproval. Or if we're like being rebellious, always looking to not get approval, Mm -hmm. which is just another form of, of like attention, attention and looking for approval from, you know, this like invisible higher authority in your mind or whatever it is. But it's that way that like you turn everything into right or wrong and the way that you begin to inhibit your own actual like intuitive abilities Mm-hmm. And like for Spolin, that the entire idea behind improvising wasn't to create material. The entire idea was to to create an avenue where people could unlock. Uh, uh, she called it uh, uh, like Factor X, I think, which it just means like that sounds like the worst improv team. They changed it. <laughs> they changed it in one of the later editions of the book because it sounded so shitty and stupid. Yeah. I think, but um, it sounds like if you're going to make a comic book about Factor an improv X. team, yeah, be called like Factor X. But the whole thing of it was just basically like, you don't know what's in you uh, until it's coming out of you. You don't know what you're capable until you have a place to freely play and freely let it out. And you don't let it out because you're trying. Well, it still (laughs) is. In a lot of ways, Uh when you boil it down, we're just a digestion track. That's all we really are. We're just like mentally digesting stuff and pooping it out. We're we're physically and mentally absorbing the environment around us, (laughs) temporarily turning it into ourselves, then shitting it out of our butts or our mouths. (laughs) And then one day we die. And then we become those elements and other people devour that. How about that? Yeah. What uh, a world. Everybody poops and everyone (laughs) is poop. Not everybody poops. There's one man. He lives off of sunlight, and he hasn't pooped in 18 years. He's more powerful than any of us. He knows the secret, <laughs> uh, um, which, of course, is to visualize the person you want to be and don't compliment a woman because that's the secret. I don't know. <laughs> what? I'm writing a story for the truth right now that uh, is about, like, the whatever, like, the dating guide thing, how to how to get women to fall in love with you, and it's, like, all know. about... Is that a thing that exists? I'm like sure you know this. Yeah, it is, and, and it's, like, all based on the theory of, like, if you compliment a woman, now she doesn't need compliments from you anymore. She knows I that mean, you're an easy mark. It's, oh, it's such total bullshit. So it's, <laughs> like, so... she sort of never needed them. Right. So it's, like, so you want to keep a woman wanting compliments from you, and so you do that through, like, slight insults and whatnot. Oh, this it is gives like you the, the power. Thing. It's the nagging thing. I hate it's that this, shit. Like, so viscerally. It's the secret. It's the secret, baby. But then, <laughs> but then there actually is a book called The Secret, and The Secret is... It's, like, about just visualizing Visualize what you want. It's like, okay, yeah, uh, yeah, that's cool. Anyway, I took a, a left-field track. No, it's okay. I, I, I like talking about negging. It's ridiculous. It's ridiculous. Also, I will say the like one benefit of it is that anytime anyone is being mean to me, I'm like, probably they're negging me. Yeah. <laughs> and they just like want to sleep with me. Probably that's what's going on. Even if they're just like, I don't like you as a human being. I think that you're the worst. I don't know who's saying this to me, but just hypothetically, yeah. someone just like was very on the nose cruel. I would be like, okay, well... I'm not into you, so yeah. <laughs> we can be friends. Yeah. Uh, so it's like a, a good tool for me to just continue lying to myself yeah. about everyone wanting to be my bro. No, I, I, <laughs> no that's, there's probably, I don't think you're lying to yourself. There's probably a lot of truth to that. Because <laughs> people have like all kinds of dumb fucking agendas and shit. And, and it's amazing that hair pulling shit that you do in second grade when you like somebody still carries through when you're 35 years old. Yeah, you that's still, true. You still do that shit. Human behavior, man. That's the secret, man. (laughs) The hell were we talking about? We were talking about. Oh, we're talking about and Factor X. Factor X. Basically, that idea of like 
finding that freedom inside, finding not really knowing what you're capable of until you're doing it. And she like insists too that like you can't do it by express, you can't aim to express it. Mm-hmm. You do it by actually playing with other people. When we're playing the same game together, um, the ways that we unconsciously act in order to fulfill the requirements of that game, that is the dead giveaway about what's really inside of us. It's that unique way that you play this game, that unique way that you respond in the scene where you suddenly feel the most you or, you know what I mean? Like, yeah, I think that makes sense. Yeah. Uh, I, I also think it's interesting, like this, this like, oh, it's always there. Like I used to get really nervous about initiations. Mm-hmm. Uh, like I was really, really, like I, I think, um, I'm not sure if this came up in your class, but like I just didn't want to have to do it. I only ever wanted to have to respond because yeah. I felt like it was too much pressure or whatever. And then I like did this weird, this is like super weird. I like went to Carol Square and just like got a notebook and just wrote down every snippet of conversation. Yeah. I heard like one line from each of them. And I would like in my house, this is, I feel like this makes me sound like a crazy person. In my house, I would read that as if it were an initiation and then try to respond and then realize like, oh, it's literally just like, Literally just say anything. I do that too. I do anything it, yeah. at all. I do it sometimes with plays. I'll grab a play off the shelf and I'll just randomly flip open to any page, point to any line, and then that's the start of a scene that I'm about to improvise by myself. Yeah, and it's so it's it I think takes the pressure off like having to come up with this yeah, like totally perfect thing. Totally. I was I was uh, teaching a class recently and we were doing um, uh, joins. Do you know Greg Tavares? Mm-hmm. I thought he was a North Carolina guy. He wrote a book called Improv for Everyone. Good book. I recommend it. Improv okay. for Everyone. And he describes this technique that he came up with called joins. And it, it's basically building stage pictures together. So it's like you would start, um, let's say you start and you're like watching TV. Mm-hmm. So I can join you physically in, in the space. And there are basically three ways that I can join you. I can either watch TV with you. So we're both doing exactly the same thing. I can add something to the picture. So you're watching TV and I'm ironing a shirt in the background. Mm-hmm. Or I can touch you. So you're watching TV and I come and I put my head in your lap. Right. And each of them creates a completely different picture. And each picture kind of conveys its own different story. And each relationship is very unique. It's wonderful, wonderful. It sounds great. Way to work. And I was running some of those in class uh, recently. And... and people were playing through these scenes and they were like really fantastic scenes, just like simple and clear and on point and very like heartfelt. And I realized like, Oh, in every single one of these scenes, that opening picture is, is you could see it as starting in the middle of -hmm. a scene. You could see it as the end of a scene, or you could see it as the beginning of a scene. Every single one of them, like they work equally well, depending on where you place them in it. It's like, Oh, what a great way to think of like every single moment is the end of one thing, the beginning of another thing in the middle of a third thing. Right. Time is a flat circle. Time is a flat circle. I haven't even watched it. I'm not going to watch season two. Fuck it. I I haven't watched it. I'm probably going to watch it. Yeah. I'll probably watch it too. Who am I kidding? Uh, Get really into it, but I don't think it's going to be, well also like, this is like a total digression, but uh, that big hug mug, mm-hmm. uh, I don't know if it, like in, that he's like ashing a cigarette into cracks me up because we had that mug in my house. Like, oh, yeah. It was. Yeah. We, we owned that. Yeah. It, it came with a floral arrangement that had a little bear hugging it. It was filled with daisies. Yeah. In case you ever wondered, like, where you find that. <laughs> <laughs> um. Here's a cool initiation technique somebody told me about this week. Oh, I wish I could remember who told me. Uh, initiate a scene as if you're answering a question. Oh, it's so great. 
Oh, that sounds super fun. So initiate a scene. Your initiation is, uh, no thanks, I'm actually not drinking anymore. It's like, oh, awesome. So great. Awesome. And what a great way to like just tell your partner, like, hey, this is who you are. Awesome. It's so, I love that. It's so yeah. simple. Just initiate as if you're answering a question. That's so smart. Yeah. Um, I'm literally just thinking about how lovely that is. I know, it's great. So, so succinct yeah. and like simple. Going back for a second to making people feel uncomfortable in scenes. Is interesting because, like, going back to 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 making people feel disrespected versus like you lead people to a place that's kind of uncomfortable. You have a gift for playing uncomfortable moments and scenes that uh, <laughs> make you feel upset in the best way possible. Because oftentimes you will play scenes with an emotional fullness that I think is disarming. Oh, thanks. Yeah, it, it in a way that like strips a lot of the pretense and a lot of the joking out of scenes and just goes directly into, okay, we're in this now 100% together. And, and you let it all out too. It, you let yourself really be moved in scenes. And I it, have a lot of feelings all the time. <laughs> yeah. It's something, I mean, playing with you is a real, it's a joy to do. And, and, and it really, it has that feeling of like, in the best way possible, like, oh man, it's, it's theater, man. We're doing, we're in theater right now. We're showing real people, you know, uh, um, how, I, I guess there's no question there other than how do you think when you're in scenes, when you're in a show like Kiss Punch Poem, uh, 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 uh where, where is your mind when you're playing scenes? What are you looking for? Um, I actually think Armando gave me some really helpful advice. Like when I was doing the Armando Diaz experience, I um, find that, or I found that form really challenging or the one, not necessarily, that's not necessarily true. I found the premisiness of it felt really challenging to me because mm -hmm. with Kiss Punch, it felt like a lot more thematic. Mm -hmm. So you didn't have to have like, oh, here's my very clear premise from that monologue. Mm -hmm. that, and that seemed, um, premise stuff is always a little bit challenging for me for some reason. Uh, I think I, feels like it has to be perfect mm -hmm. or it's garbage like there's no in between somehow um and Armando told me to like just uh he's like if you don't have a premise literally just go out with somebody else who started first because they have a premise and then just feel a way mm -hmm. just feel a thing about that uh and it was so it was like oh that's so easy what a simple little like hack yeah uh and so for me that that tends to be like if I don't know what else I'm doing either try to do something physical because that is helpful for me to like, I don't know, get out of what my normal posture is uh, to feel differently or to just like, oh, I just feel a way about this. Yeah. Um, I think also I really loved you, this exercise you did actually where we had secrets. Mm -hmm. um, that like you, you weren't supposed to have the other person guess or anything. Uh, it wasn't even necessarily like, oh, you have a want that you need to get the other person to fulfill I think mine was like you're gonna kill yourself tomorrow, mm -hmm. and and sorry nothing. about that. Yeah. No, no, it's okay. I mean, I didn't. It's okay. Uh, <laughs> but I remember like the scene that we did. It might have been me and Nathan Peterman. I think mm -hmm. was like probably not that funny, but it felt really engaging and like I think it got to funny moments that felt uncomfortable, like they were funny, but they felt like weird, like sad. Uh, which I like really like. Uh, Alex Marino always uh, teased me once about like always liking just characters from Tom Waits songs. Uh -huh. <laughs> like I just always play someone that's got like something profoundly wrong with them. Yeah. 
uh, I don't know. I think that's it's just interesting to like explore the sort of weird weirdos more than anything else. It's funny because, uh, like, for me, um, a, a secret, like knowing that I uh, I ate a really good falafel for lunch. <laughs> Uh, uh, ends up being so much more fulfilling to play in a scene than knowing no, I'm going to totally. kill myself tomorrow for totally. no reason other than, other than I just feel more specific. No, I I love that. Like I, sometimes the thing I'll do if I'm in a show with new people is I'll just decide that I'm going to make up a couple of secrets that I have yeah. just for myself, just in the moment. I do like a lot of weird games like this all the time. Like, have I told you about like the like you? I think you know about the alternate universe crushes that I do. Yeah. Uh, but like the the dream avatar thing, which is super weird, um, which is like, oh, if you were to imagine that in this world that we live in right now, everyone is dreaming someone into being. Mm. Who is it that dreams that person into life? That's Does that make any sense? Yeah. So so for as we're talking, I would start to imagine who who is it? Someone's dreaming Bianca into existence. Who's that person? Yeah. So like for instance, for Alex Marino. Um, it's. I always imagine that like the person dreaming him is like an aggressively normal man uh-huh. uh, with like a wife and and children and like a good job, not a great job, good job, good house, not a great house. And he's like a little bit psychic, and it scares the shit out of him. Mm-hmm. And he hates it. He's never sh- quite sure if like he has his wife because she fell in love with him or because of this weird thing that he doesn't like about him and is terrified people will find out. And he gets the dream of Alex. It was just the opposite of that, mm-hmm. but and like has that same like sort of snake oil magic stuff about him, uh, that like sort of carny vibe in like the best possible way. It's always like halfway a nightmare. Um, it's super weird. <laughs> do you do this a lot? Constantly. Really? Like on like the train? Yeah, like uh, it's, it's awesome. Um, like literally all of the time. I like do these weird games. Constantly, are like, oh, what would this person be if they were a beverage? Yeah. What would, I don't know. I think every time you do it, you try to find, like, you find a different specific vibe about that person that is satisfying yeah. in some way. But, like, it's, like, exactly what little kids do, right? When, when, when they don't feel like someone is, like, peeking into their imagination to, like, evaluate and give them a grade on how imaginative they're being, that's, like, exactly what you do. Like, to this day, the number two for me is yellow. And it has a big forehead with a receding hairline and like three brow lines on it, and and it tastes like mustard. I don't I, know what that means. I like love that so so deeply. I don't know what it means, but it it when I was a kid, I would, like numbers would just start to like take on personalities. I think that's great. And you start to associate those personalities with like oh, the number two is associated with with like a guy who like has like a boat in the marina. He's like retired. And he wears khaki pants and he has a boat in the marina. And it's like... I would love to see a show where that was that was how you did things. Like you had a, a cup with numbers and you'd pull it out and that okay. was your character. Yeah, that's actually... I, I wonder if it would come fast enough in the show because then when you got everybody watching you, you don't necessarily have the same access to all that information. Like you, you need You need time to relax and be open and just daydream and let yeah. those kinds of things like form together when you're tight. And this is what, why tightness on stage sucks when you're tight, you don't have access to it. It's not flowing. And mm-hmm. that's when you're forcing shit. And that's when you're not specific anymore. Like I, I, the, by, by daydreaming about what kind of beverage a person is, 
I would be willing to bet that even if you don't do that when you're on stage, spending your day daydreaming what kind of beverages other people are, I'm willing to bet that that gives you access to tics and mannerisms and behaviors and ways of thinking that you can access on stage that make you very specific characters. Yeah, I think that's the thing is like trying to make these alternate worlds or like who is dreaming this person is is all about like, for for me, what's satisfying about it is like a, a degree of specificity about something like I don't. I don't know. I don't. It would be difficult for me to verbalize like why Christian Pollock to me is peanuts in a Coke. Mm-hmm. But like to me, that is exactly what he would be if he were a beverage. Yeah. Uh, and it's got a very specific flavor to it. Yeah. Uh, and I think maybe it's just because I'm not the most like cerebral. So in, in a classic like measured sense where I could give you the adjectives that that means. Yeah. But if you tell me like, oh, it's uh, peanuts in a, in a Coke, like I have a sort of visceral or holistic understanding of like several adjectives that I can't think of right this minute. Like I think maybe earthy is one or like, uh, uh, I don't know. Uh, I'm, it would be reaching to try to come up with them. Uh, but yeah, these weird, like specific flavors that I don't always think about. Um, see, I think that like going back to like Spolin's like factor X or whatever she called it. I think that like, this is going to be, just so stupid but whatever i already love it i think that there's like the 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 there's like a big you inside and then there's like the reasoning conscious ego part of you is sort of like the middleman it's like the pr department Mm -hmm. that communicates to other people's pr departments to try to reach their big you you know what i mean right your people are contacting their people exactly and and I believe that you have a certain responsibility as a professional daydreamer to like, there's a very, there's a a language that's spoken between your unconscious and your reasoning mind. Um, uh, and your reasoning mind ignores it more often than not because your reasoning mind is a fucking arrogant asshole, (laughs) speaks English very well and thinks that it's a know-it-all and doesn't realize that like, oh, the real work is being done behind the scenes in the dark. That's why it's garbage when your reasoning mind is the one that you're using doing improv with. And when you're tight, your reasoning mind is the one who's doing the improv. And Mm -hmm. and that's when you find how mean-spirited your reasoning mind is because it's just protective of you. When your reasoning mind, it's only on the defense defense to protect you it starts being a real jerk to other people yeah and it feels inauthentic yes very uh, much all the time like you could say something that even you genuinely truly believe but it will feel inauthentic once it comes through that filter absolutely when you get more of like a fullness of somebody you feel it viscerally you experience it there's just Mm -hmm. like a presence to that person there's like a warmth you know what i mean like and i believe that like you have a responsibility to like spend time daydreaming to learn the language that your unconscious is using to communicate to your conscious. Like, why peanuts in a can of soda represents Christian Pollock means nothing to me. Right. Super weird. But to you, it's like, no, that's a that's a dialogue. That's that's like a regional dialect that you understand. And that gives you that much more access to, like, very, very deep wells of feeling and thought and information that are going on on probably some really deep levels. Levels where, like... In your, in your psyche or whatever, a can of soda with peanuts is not just an image. It's not just a dream thing. It, that contains a huge amount of information. That's, a, that's like a living, breathing symbol that somehow translates to your conscious mind as Christian Pollock. Right. You know what <laughs> just, I mean? 
I, but, I don't think I've ever told him about that, so I wonder if he'll like, yeah, really feel really here. I know for a fact he's a fan. You heard that. <laughs> you heard that, folks. Christian Pollock's a fan. So tell your friends if, if this <laughs> show is good enough for Christian Pollock, it's good enough yeah, for your just friends. Sit back with a Coca Cola with some peanuts in it and think about him. Here's another thing too, so to get spaced out about this. I love it. I think that every now and again you have these moments when you're playing in a show where like that third mind really manifests. And, and like sometimes you experience that third mind as like an image suddenly pops into your mind somehow and you don't know where it came from, but you kind of trust it. And without claiming psychic stuff, because I don't think it is psychic, but I do think that sometimes if, if let's say that like you, oh, so, what a fuck, fuck, don't judge me. Let's say, <laughs> let's say that you and I are talking, right? And there's like the deeper shadowy part of both of us and that's kind of the bigger more more robust three-dimensional us mm-hmm. and then there's the pr department in the front of our brain that's like yep. more of our personality and our ego right let's say you think of it in terms of like uh, um normally when we're making small talk and catching up and tell me about your life that thing mm-hmm. you go all into ego and you go through these bullet points of my accomplishments since i last saw you right and so that part is very bright. It's like, a, it's like a light that's turned on full wattage. And you can't really see what's going on in the starry part of your personality because the light is so, is so bright. And when you have two people who just have that bright light in the front of their brain, there's a lot of chit-chat but not a lot going on. Mm. You're in a scene with somebody. You're both feeling very relaxed and very easy. You're very, the tightness isn't there. You're very open to each other. In my mind, the image is like those light bulbs in the front of your brain are like dimming they're both getting nice and dim because they don't need to work so hard and suddenly the stars come out in the back of my brain and the stars come out in the back of your brain and as you and i are talking all of a sudden i get an image in my mind of a can of soda with peanuts in it and i don't know where it came from but my unconscious knows where it came from because it like somehow picked up the language that you're Mm -hmm. communicating to me that's my theory about third mind that's what i think it is i'm totally into that and by the way that is maybe the most romantic description i've ever heard i felt a lot of feelings there i'm a poet you really are lewis a lover Uh, (laughs) (laughs) is that still your no I, i i don't do that kind of superheroes anymore i do object superheroes now what's your object it depends. I try to mix it up every class. Oh, but if I don't have anything, I go with like a stinky bowl of, uh, <laughs> of leftovers. I open a fridge. I lift up a, a bowl. I smell leftovers. It smells bad. And then I put it back in the fridge. Nice. I find that funny. <laughs> that's great. Um, yeah. Like I think there's that like moment. I feel like that's the thing that everyone's always chasing or maybe just I am uh, of that. Something just clicks where mm-hmm. you look at each other and and even if. Both of you just came out because nobody else was coming out. Neither nobody has an idea. You like check in for whatever reason. Every so often, you get that moment where it's like, "Oh, I don't know what we're doing, but we're going to be great. Mm-hmm. This is fine. We could, we, you and I can do this scene for two hours. Mm-hmm. This, this is for whatever reason we just hit that like perfect pitch together, and it's going to be really smooth. It always feels like that that scene in Hook, which I know like every probably every goddamn <laughs> improviser. References, but it's just such a great moment where you're like, oh, you see the ridiculous colored food. Mm-hmm. That's we like cl- clicked in in a really satisfying way. Yeah, uh, which is my very, 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 very favorite thing in the whole world. I it just this thought just occurred to me, but I like it. Thinking of like your ego as like light pollution. Yeah, I think that's a really, really great way to put it. It's like loud and noisy and bright and shit. And, and then, necessary and in a lot well, of, for a lot of everyday things. For damn sure. But not for stargazing. 
the thing with it is like you learn it. Or, or, yeah, exactly. Not for stargazing. Right. Exactly. I'm feeling I'm feeling so many things right now. Me too. <laughs> Bianca Casusel, you are a delight, my friend. Oh, Louis Kornfeld, you're my favorite. Like, stop it. Get out of here. I won't. Uh, uh, thank you so much for thank talking. You. And thank you all so much for listening. This has been the Magma Theater Podcast. Thank you to our producer, Evan Ford Barden. Thank you to our engineer, Grant Michael Goldberg. Thank you to our executive producer, Ed Herbstman. And thanks once again to the loveliest guest in the history of the world, Bianca Casasol. Oh, it's your face. I'm Louis Kornfeld. Thanks for listening, everybody. Bye, bye, bye. You've been listening to the Magnet Podcast. This podcast has been brought to you by the Magnet Training Center, where we teach classes in improvisation, sketch writing, musical improv, storytelling, and more. If you're interested in checking us out, we offer free weekly intro to improv classes. You can find out more about those free intro classes and all other classes we offer at magnettheater.com. Our podcast is available on SoundCloud, Stitcher, and iTunes. And if you've enjoyed this episode, please head over to iTunes and give us a positive rating. We appreciate the support. Also, be sure to check out the Magnet Theater for top-notch comedy shows seven nights a week. All information regarding classes and shows can be found at magnettheater.com.